Today we're starting a new series in the book of Colossians. And uh, Colossians is a, is a, a book, a letter, essentially written by Paul uh, to the church in Colossae. And uh, Paul, being, Paul was a man who was mightily transformed by God. We've mentioned various times uh, Paul was transformed as a man who was persecuting Christians, uh, and then God transformed him from the inside out to a man who uh, is leading and traveling and sharing about God's goodness. And uh, this letter was a response uh, from a friend of his called Epaphras. Uh, excuse my pronunciation, it's the best I've got, and I'm going to roll with it. Uh, he was a representative uh, of Paul's, and he was leading the church. And Epaphras was updating Paul on the state of the church. And most of it was encouraging. Most of this letter was really, really encouraging. But there was one thing that Paul noted, and that was that there was a group of people who were uh, offering this attractive uh, false teaching. And if that continued, then it would, ve- it would hinder the gospel uh, spreading in that area. So this needed to be addressed, and Paul needed to write to reassure uh, the church there that everything, you're doing well, everything's going good, and that Epaphras was the man to lead it, that what he was sharing was accurate, and uh, he was a good man. So I I want to encourage us this morning uh, as we open God's Word, and this week, as I was tuning over this passage I was just becoming afresh, revealing afresh, God was revealing afresh the power of His Word, that His Word is powerful. There's a reason why people smuggle this book into countries where it's illegal. There's a reason they do that. There's a reason there's authorities that don't like this book being in countries because it overturns, it changes situations. God's power enters in. It does. Thank you very much. In China, Believers often share a copy of the Bible, but they do it in a very unorthodox way. They do page by page. So they'll gather together in secret and they'll give out a page to everybody who's gathered. They'll go away and they'll memorize that page. They will memorize it. They'll bring it back and then they'll swap over and have another page and memorize it. In Muslim countries, Christians risk imprisonment and even death for sharing this. Gandhi said, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. I want this morning this dynamite to be lit in our hearts this morning. That this is more than a piece of literature. So let's all, before God, open our hearts to what He's got to say to us this morning. Allow His Word to turn our worlds upside down uh, this morning. Why don't we pray? Uh, Actually, I'll give out Bibles first. That would be handy, wouldn't it? Uh, David, my brother-in-law, why don't you dish out some Bibles? He's visiting. Let's give him a round of applause. So they're over there. Yeah, I better tell you where they are. (laughs) So if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and David will get them along to you. And uh, if you don't have one at home, please take one as a gift. We would love you to have a Bible at home. And we're going to be looking at Colossians 1. 1 to 14. It should also be on the screen. Uh, There we go. That's nice and clear. And before I read, we're going to pray. So let's pray. Lord, we do not want to take your word for granted. We thank you that, that your word is powerful, that you want to speak to each and every one of us sitting here this morning into our situations. Will you reveal more of your goodness, more of your hope, 
more of your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. May the words light up and ignite something in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read uh, Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good, in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. So the Colossian church are a church that are colliding with the world. They're going against the grain. And that's what being and living out as a Christian is to be for us. Living lives where our worlds collide with other people's in a way that shines a different kind of hope in an earth-shaking, upside-down, rebellious kind of way. That as followers of Jesus, we declare, I'm going to release the rebel. I'm going to go against what the world's saying, what society's rules and expectations say, what pressures from our family and friends. And I'm going to pursue and live for Jesus. Somebody uh, once said of Jesus, he is a real, authentic, he is real, authentic, and relevant. He spoke with honesty. He was a man on a mission. He was a radical, a revolutionary, yet tender and kind and loving. He was doing things completely against the rules of the day. He was a mix of justice, kindness, judgment, and grace. And we are to be like him. We are called to be like him. It's all for Jesus. And our lives are to be rebellious. Our lives are to be dangerous. Our lives are to be risk we're to be risk takers. But we also realize that our lives are tough in light of that. Our lives can be tough. It may seem impossible. It may at times tire us. It may frustrate us. But when we take that path for Jesus, when we accept him into our lives and live for him, something awakens. We have a hope that nothing in the world can compare to. And I'm sure when I, think, when I speak of the, world, the word rebellious and rebel, we can think of loads of different seasons where we've been slightly rebellious, uh, that weren't stirred by Jesus at all, but were destructive perhaps. We've all been there, but Jesus wants to break through 
and he wants to call us to be a different kind of rebel. The church in Colossae that we read about were doing something right, and the majority of these verses are a real encouragement. Paul's saying, you're, you're doing great. Things are going well. Keep going. It's a group of people that are bucking the trend, that are going against what the world's pressures are. And I, I want us to look at what does it look like to live as a Christian for each and every one of us when we step out of this door and have our Monday to Saturday, what does it look like? What does it look like when we go against the world on a daily basis? And I want to do this uh, by looking at some common phrases that we may have heard when we were younger, uh, that society have used, and maybe our parents said to it, maybe we have said them. And uh, these phrases should be rejected when we live lives as Christians. So just remember that when we go through each point. And uh, some of us have allowed some of these things uh, to actually take a hold of us, to, to be lived out of, and it's not a good place to be. So, and this is a new start this morning for some of us as we hear this. So, the first one I want to look at is you should be seen and not heard. You should be seen and not heard. Now, I remember vividly this being a phrase on a number of occasions. Firstly, when I went to visit family friends who I had no idea who they were, they looked about 100 and uh, they were very old and they would keep saying, you should be seen and not heard. You should be seen and not heard. And also, uh, I remember when I was at church and uh, when I was about 10 years old and I was sitting through one of my dad's sermons, which seemed like about two hours long, and I got given at Christmas time one of these talking watches. Do you remember them? Remember when they were, they were the cool thing? And one time I, I, I took a bit of a risk. It was getting after 12 o'clock. I pressed the button. I put my hand around the watch. You know the way you, put your, you kind of muffle your hand around to make it slightly louder? And then all the whole church heard, a silent one was, it's 12.01 p.m. And granted to say, I never had that watch again. That disappeared from the face of the planet, and I never got to see it. You should be seen and not heard. Some of us have had those words spoken over us, and they have bound us. They have bound us. God has given us all a voice, but we're being held captive by those words. You should be seen, but not heard. It's a chance to break that this morning. You might even find with a number of the points that we go through, it just hits home. And we realize, actually, I shouldn't be operating out of that. God's not wanting that. The church in Colossae had a, a voice loud and clear. In verse 4, we read that, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for God's people. When I first read that passage, that was the one word that stood out for me. We have heard. Paul's saying, we've heard about what's going on. We have heard what you are doing. This is a church that were seen and that were heard. This is a church where people uh, in the four walls that they were meeting, in the houses, in the streets, in the towns, in the community, something was spreading. The noise was spreading. It's almost like this bass speaker we have. If you imagine if that was turned up to the complete max, it would reverberate around. People from the outside would go, what's going on there? Is that an earthquake? What's happening? It's reverberating around the area. These people had a voice. I love that they were heard. I love that it was loud. I love that Paul was getting news coming back saying, I've heard what's going on. There's great things going on. And I want to challenge us this morning. Are we being heard? Are we being heard? Do we have lives that reverberate around the north of Aberdeen for Jesus? Where, where City Church Ellen is heard, 
God this morning is saying, be, be seen and be heard for me. Be seen and be heard. And don't let fear dominate our day-to-day lives. The fear of dismissal. I want to show a very short clip, and it's one of my favorite TV moments, I think, ever. Uh, I don't know if you remember a couple of years back the program Educating Yorkshire, where they put loads of cameras around a school, and uh, there was this one boy in particular which uh, was highlighted, his name was Musharraf, and Musharraf did not have a voice. He, he, had a, he had a stutter. He had a real struggle with this, and he was studying English, and he needed to go through uh, his speaking test to pass it. He needed to go through his speaking test to pass English. And I want to have a wee look at this, and then I'll pick up again. So here he is with his teacher. Hopefully it'll be nice and loud and clear, and nice uh, loud, we'll nice watch it for a couple of minutes. Um... So which, right, one thing, and, and it's only because I watched the King's speech quite recently, all right? Okay. One thing he does, right, when the... Because it's a very similar thing to you, in that you just can't get the words out. But what, one thing he does do is he makes him listen to some music, right? And then when he's listening to the music, gets him to do it again. Okay. So you, have you got your phone with you? No, no. Right, just plug it into mine, I'll put you some awful music on. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> right, you ready? No, yes, sir. Yeah? Okay, that's right. Go for it. One, two, three. The moment when, after many years of hard work and a long, v- v- uh, 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 a long v- v- uh, uh, of riage, uh, 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 the soft arm from around you, the birds take back their language. The cliff... Fisher. The, the cliffs fissure and collapse. The air moves back from you like a wave and you can't breathe. What? Pause, pause, pause. No, pause. the... Carry on, carry on. No, the whisper, you, you own nothing. You were a visitor time after time, climbing the hill planting the flag, proclaiming we never belong to you. You never found us. It was always the other way round. Bloody hell. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, yes. Did that feel good? Uh, Does it sound... Yeah. Do, do you feel confident? Uh, That's yes. Unbe- do, can I go get Miss Lee? Uh, Stay there. Good lad. Can I borrow you, Miss Lee, for a second? Right, our poet extraordinaire, right? You ready? Uh, yeah. When the trees unloose their soft arm from around you, the birds take back their language. The cliffs fissure and collapse. The air moves back from you like a wave and you can't breathe. You never found us. It was always the other way around. What an unbelievable thing that is. Challenge you to watch that without getting emotional. <laughs> Why have I showed you that clip? Because some of us here need to find our voice when it comes to following Jesus, exactly the same as Musharraf there in that picture, in that video. God is placing on, on us to speak out. 
We have a helper. Did you see the teacher's face when it clicked there? You just seen, didn't you? You just seen him go, wow, he's there. He's there. God is in the exact same place as that teacher there. He's willing us on. And when we finally get the words out, when we finally step forward, when we finally take that risk, he's there saying, wow, he's doing it. She's doing it. So we should be seen and we should be heard. Secondly, I want to look at, when are you going to stop growing? Now, uh, this one, (laughs) you look at the height of me, you can see that was quite a regular thing. Uh, This is another common thing that we've maybe heard said uh, whilst grabbing the cheeks of the child. When are you going to stop growing? That's what I can remember when I was being younger. And we should probably spare a thought for the world's tallest man at this point. Uh, The world's tallest man had to deal with this question quite a lot, being eight foot two. I imagine that he would have to deal with that quite regularly. Uh, In the passage, Straight after we read Paul's part about saying that he heard about the church and the great things that have happened, we also hear that they've been growing. We read that in verse 6, that the church had been growing. We might have heard friends say to our children that phrase, or remember people saying to us, when are you going to stop growing? Or have they put you in a grow bag? That was another common one as well. Have have they put you in a grow bag? But God will never, ever say that to us. He'll never, ever say those words to us. In fact, our walks with God have always to be about growing. They've always to be about growing. When the world says you've reached your limits, when the world says no more to come for you, that's it. Move, move along, move along. God has a plan that is about more, that is about growth, that is about greater things that are yet to come. He is always moving and working and is not finished with each and every one of us who are sitting here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we were on holiday. We went down to York, and we were driving back home, and we had the obligatory IKEA stop on the way back up. It had to be done. The car, every single space of the car was filled up, and we have our meatballs as well. You've got to do the meatballs when you're at IKEA as well, and uh, we had a lot of good fun. When we were driving back, we were going uh, over the Fourth Road Bridge, and you know the bridge that is across from it, that the rail, uh, the train goes across? I remember watching. I had a very vivid picture from God uh, when we were driving past that. Now, this bridge, uh, I remember a documentary a year or two ago when it would speak about the men who would paint this bridge. And the unique thing about this bridge is that they never stop painting it. They never stop painting it. Once they get to the end of it, the very beginning needs to start again, and they go again, and they go again. And that picture, uh, for me, was a reminder of what God is like with us. He never says to us, "That's, that's me done with you. That's me done with you. He's always at work. Just like those painters on that bridge, he is always at work. He is always available. He is always doing a work in our lives. He's always doing a work in our lives. And that is so reassuring that he never says to us, okay, I'm finished with you. Who's next? But he's always at work. He never stops. So I want to ask us this morning, have we stopped growing? Have we stopped letting God work spiritually in our lives? Are we struggling this morning? Are the reservoirs really dry and cracking and needing water this morning? Have we neglected the very tool that people are smuggling into countries that they aren't allowed to read? Are we neglecting prayer, regular fellowship with one another just because life's tough just now or it's busy? If we think back to a rebel, they go against, they go against. When the world says stop, they don't listen. They don't give up. When troubles come, we don't stop praying. 
When troubles come, we continue reading our Bible. We read our Bible more, and we pray more, and we worship more, and we press in more. James 1, verse 2 to 3, says this, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. It's quite difficult to read that first verse. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. When are we going to stop growing? We declare this morning we are not going to stop growing this morning. The church that Paul was writing to stood out. They were heard and they didn't stop growing in spite of the tough times that they were having because of their very public living of their faith. They remembered Jesus. They remember what Jesus did for them. The love and the hope that they had to share. There was an outpouring. They had to share it. And we must not stop growing here this morning. People need what we have if we know and love Jesus. People need it out with these walls. Some of us have stopped and we need to start again. That's a word for one or two of us this morning. We need to start again as we exit this building. So when are you going to stop growing? And then thirdly, if your friend told you to eat a snail, would you do that too? My mom used to say that to me all the time. I'd come home, they know the sheepish walk, you know you've done something wrong. If your friend would do that, would you do that too? You know, when something bad has happened and we place all the blame onto someone else. But they told me to do it. They told me to do it. There's a story of a president, if any is like U.S. presidential history, does anybody know Calvin Coolidge? Does anybody remember who that is? No? Okay, I'll move, I'll carry on. He was the 30th U.S. president from 1923 to 1929, and he invited some people uh, from his hometown to dinner at the White House. Quite a prestigious event, you would think. And since they didn't know how to behave when they were at the White House, they all decided we're going to copy what the president does. So when we meet up with him, when we're in this room, we're going to copy exactly what he does. So they all agreed to do that, and the time came for them to serve coffee. They're having a nice wee coffee in the White House, and uh, the president poured his coffee into a mug, uh, into a saucer, sorry. He poured it into a saucer, and as soon as the people from his town saw that, they'd done the same. The next step for the president was to pour some milk and add a little sugar to the coffee, which was in the saucer. So they did that too. And uh, they thought for sure that the next step would be that the president was going to take the saucer and begin to sip it, but the president didn't do that. The president leaned over, he placed the saucer on the floor, and he called his cat. (laughs) Now, I don't know if he had 20 cats in the White House. Perhaps he did. Maybe he was a bit of a cat lover. I haven't read about that in U.S. presidential history. But we need to watch as individuals that we're not imitating and learning from the wrong people. We need to be learning from the right people and not have the excuse, oh, well, they're doing it, so that's okay. The church that Paul is writing to learned from Epaphras. In verse 7, we read that. And, of course, we're to be imitators of Christ. Paul himself says that in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I want to challenge us this morning. Who are we learning from? And is it pointing us towards or away from Jesus? 
We need to be careful that we don't imitate other people to justify our own actions, our decisions, to clear our conscience, but we imitate and be encouraged by other people because it brings us closer to Jesus, because it brings us into deeper relationship with Him, and we can learn more of how to do life as a Christian. The Colossian church learned from Epaphras how to live a committed life for Jesus. So, as well as looking at Jesus and how He lived, who are those people in our lives this morning? Who are those one or two people? It might very well be people in this room or elsewhere that you know you would love to learn from, to spend time with, to catch a bit of what they have. If any of us are challenged by our prayer life, who's the person that prays and all of a sudden the atmosphere is thick with God's presence? We just know they're, they're carrying something. Seek them out. Go and get a coffee. Spend time with them. Who's the person that when they open God's Word, you know that their Bible knowledge is deep and you're like, how on earth do they know that? I want some of that. They're carrying something. Speak with them. Spend time with them. Be hungry for more. Be proactive. Be encouraged. Learn from one another. Develop and learn from within here so that then we can go out there and share the good news of the gospel. I know I need some of that regularly, and I'm challenged in finding those people that can, that can bring me deeper with the Lord. And it's important in those moments that when we spend time with those people that we don't compare, that we don't sit there with our coffee and go, oh my goodness, they know so much. I couldn't even name the first 10 chapters, verse, books of the Bible. It's important we don't do that. Steve Furtick says, we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. I love that. We compare our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reel. And we can do that sometimes. It's not about comparison. It's about being more like Jesus. So, if you're thinking, I need, I need some of that, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See what Jesus did, how He prayed, how He spent time with people, how He uh, spent time with the down and outs, the people that people had given, given up on. Let's not be imitators of the world, like sheep thinking, I better go with the flock because it's more difficult to stand out, but be imitators of Christ to be a different kind of rebel. And then next, we have practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. And I have to learn again and again uh, many things, and this phrase always comes back to me. Uh, and looking back to when I was younger, I now see that this phrase was a ploy by my parents to get an extra couple of hours' peace. Whenever I was building Lego or whenever I was uh, doing kid stuff or some sort of project or jigsaws, oh, you're nearly, practice makes perfect. You know, go and give it another shot. I've not quite got it, mum. Oh, just till four o'clock, till four o'clock, and then I'll scurry away. It's a ploy. And I'm going to use exactly the same ploy for Joshua. I guarantee I will do that. Sometimes hearing that phrase adds pressure, doesn't it? Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. The perfect is the goal, the end point. I must reach that. Practice, practice, practice. I'm not doing enough. Sometimes it can seem like an impossible goal. We're never going to get there. That we're motivated at the beginning, but then it falls away. In life, Practice doesn't make perfect. Jesus makes perfect. Jesus makes perfect. Jesus on the cross died for us 
each and every one of us, so that the pressure and the pain and the disappointment and the failures of not matching up are paid. So we can be in perfect relationship with God this morning. And the pressure of attainment, the pressure of perfection is not there. It's not there. It doesn't need to exist anymore. And in His death and paying for our sins and all the rubbish of our lives and clearing it off the face of the earth, He qualifies us. He qualifies us. Verse 12 speaks of that, how how God qualifies us. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. This morning, we have nothing to make up. There is no shortfall. We don't need to make it to spiritual level 20 before we can take communion. We don't need to be at church four weeks in a row before we can pray out. We don't need to sing three songs before we can fill out a green card. All we need to do is believe that He died and that He rose again and accept Him into our life. Nothing else to do from us. In spite of how bad we've been, in spite of our past, in spite of our failures, in spite of our shame, He qualifies you and He qualifies me this morning. And that is incredibly freeing. What a security we have this morning. What a security to remember our freedom. We need to get better at remembering our freedom, that we are free this morning. We have security in Jesus this morning. Not in the world, not in our workplaces, not in our homes, not in our friendships. In Jesus, we have security. So practice makes perfect. Also, another one, no dessert until you've finished dinner. (coughs) I still get that one. God doesn't withhold from us, doesn't withhold from us, but sometimes it can take time. These are the words when I was younger that shattered my world every time we had Brussels sprouts for dinner. I'll be honest with you. Every time we had Brussels sprouts for dinner, I would power through and I would say with every mouthful, I'm nearly there, I'm nearly there. And the Vianetta in the kitchen, I swear it was speaking to me. I could hear it in the kitchen, you're nearly there, you're nearly there. Mint Vianetta, brilliant. Paul is saying he has qualified us, but that is not all. He doesn't just say, I've qualified you and that's you done. You're good to go. He shares with us too. God shares with us. And this kind isn't the kind of sharing where he gives us a little bit and then he withholds the good stuff from us. It's all there. We have an inheritance, a salvation, which is not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And it's final when we become Christians. But there's also so, so much more. But sometimes in our lives, we have the Brussels sprouts to get through until we can get to the dessert and for God to unveil more of His plan. That in those valleys, when there's tough times, when we can't explain, we don't know what's happening, or understand, or we're sitting with more questions than we do answers, that God is calling us in those moments just to be, just to be, just to be in His presence, just to draw close to Him, to know that He's ready to comfort us when we're in the the dark places, that He's there, 
And God wants to grab a few of us this morning by the hand and to walk with us, to walk alongside us in our tears, and to tell you that the little chink of light is there. It's there. And it will be okay. Some of us need to hear that this morning. It will be okay. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, The weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What a beautiful verse. Psalm 23, uh, one of the well-known Psalms, verse 4, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's amazing, amazing. Maybe for some of us, life is just tough. And you can't explain why. Maybe, maybe we know why. Or maybe it feels like a bit of a slog, neither up or down, and we need breakthrough this morning. We need God to show us the next steps. Maybe some of us are sitting here desperate just for a deeper relationship, for more, to know more of God's gifts of the Spirit, to prophesy, to encourage with pictures and words for other people, to see miracles. Maybe there's one or two of us this morning, it's even to sing. We can't even utter the words to sing. Let's be asking this morning for more of God. He doesn't say no. He says we have to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 speaks of that. <coughs> and then just to close, I just want to read the last few verses from verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God rescues us. He continues to rescue us. Verse 13 and verse 14 remind us of the love He has for us. In the ups and downs, He's always there and He's always available. God is never out of time, and He's never too busy for us. So, a different kind of rebel means that we live a life that is countercultural, that is breaking from the words and the patterns of life that have a hold on us, that we say no more mediocrity, and we make a commitment that living for Jesus is more than sitting here once a week at church or, or going together. As a, it's more than getting together as a small group and coming to church. It's more than that. It's more than… It's, it's just more. It's living more like Jesus, radical, bold, brave, and taking our God-given opportunities to share that little chink of light in a very dark world which is out with this place just want to read one last slide that's going to come up just for the points. The people of Colossians, the Colossae, were seen and heard. They were always growing. They were imitating Jesus. They were being more like Jesus. They were secure in who they were, and they were hungry for all that God has for them. What a picture for a church. What a picture for City Church Ellen. What a picture to share out there with people who don't know Him, the hope that we have. Why don't we stand?